And 6pm is deboned time. We only have deboned for a few more weeks because this is the final issue of Bones magazine, issue number 18. And we have a very special guest on Debone today, Millie Lovelock. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much because, of course, you are the backbone. And I don't just mean that, <laughs> the literal backbone, but also uh, everyone has a segment name or, or a section name in Bones magazine. It has to contain the word one. And you chose backbone mm -hmm. and it's probably quite fitting because you've been contributing to bones for, <laughs> for quite some time has it been every single issue uh, not every single issue I think I maybe miss two that's a pretty good run. That is good. Pretty good run <laughs> out of eight. Oh no, it's not even eighteen. Twenty-one issues because True. of course three are like prototype-ish yeah, issues. Issues, right? Yeah, yeah, negative two, negative one, and zero yes. as well. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about Light Them on Fire, which is your article from this magazine. Of course, you have so many articles, <laughs> but this one is most <laughs> fresh in your mind because uh, this has just come out a week ago. This issue mm -hmm. has just been printed. Um, so could you just explain what you've written about and a little bit more about the songwriting camp that you have talked about in the article here? Yeah, so Light Them On Fire is a little piece about a songwriting camp that I went on a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Um, it was run by APRA, which is the music publishing company in New Zealand and Australia, um, and it was a little thing called Song Hub Sphere. Just a uh, little thing. Just a little thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, an, it was basically an all-women's um, songwriting camp in celebration of 125 years of suffrage in New Zealand. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, I applied and was like, fuck, I really want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I went up to Auckland for a week. Um, thanks to APRA, they paid for everything. They put us up. They put, I think there was 15 of us um, and five international producers and they put us up in Roundhead Studios in Auckland and we wrote songs together wow. all week. Um, oh, beautiful. So we had, uh, we were very, very lucky. We had um, Susan Rogers, who was Prince's producer um, for Purple Rain and Sign of the Times and a bunch of other records that Prince did. Um, she came in and worked with us. So that was just out of this world, really. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Yeah, so it was kind of a, a life-changing experience, really. Um, <coughs> Yeah, and then I was just talking with Erin when I came back, telling her about the crazy week that I'd had, um, and I was like, I really want to write something for Bones about this, because I don't really want to write about like the end of Bones. Um, that was the big thing for Erin, I think, as well. Yeah. She it wasn't that Erin uh, never dictates, you know, what people write for Bones, mm. but it was more like the don't don't be sad, this is over. This yes. is still mm. a continuing journey for everyone once this this zine finishes. Um, and I did hear her say a few times, I don't want to just hear about people being <laughs> sad because I don't want to be sad about <laughs> yeah. Bones ending. Um, so it's really lovely that you decided to talk about more something more progressive in your life rather than something ending yeah, as well. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think. Well, my experience of Song Hubs was, um, I mean, it was just a week of being among very supportive and ambitious and talented people. Um, and I feel like that's the kind of environment that Erin was trying to create with Bones. So mm. it's like the two things <laughs> line up quite nicely in yeah. my mind. <laughs> Who 
were the other musicians that you were working with at that camp? Um, so it was curated by Chelsea Jade, um, who of course is um, New Zealand's meteor. Met, met, met. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand's number one star. That's what I. She is say. our dreamy pop princess. Um, yeah. Uh, so she put together. Who was there? Um, myself. There were two Australian musicians. Um, a musician whose stage name is Handsome, Caitlin from Sydney, um, and Angel Tyro from Sydney as well. Um, who she's like a really amazing young pop star. Mm. Um, so they were two international guests um, for the participants. Who else was there? Brooke Singer from French for Rabbits, Anna Coddington, Maud from Lexa. It's quite a new pop group in Auckland. Um, Abby Knudsen, who used to mm. live in Dunedin, yeah. was there. I'm going to just rattle off so many names. It's <laughs> like, what if I leave someone off? It would be terrible. <laughs> um, Flo Wilson, who's an incredible sonic artist um, based in Auckland. Um, God, it's, ugh, A lot of very talented Lots musicians. Lots of amazing yeah. musicians were yeah. there. Um, and we had a bunch of guests come in. We were really lucky to have Rhea Hall um, come and give a talk with Coco Solid who was also a participant, um, and Ebony Smith, who was one of the American producers who came out to help us out. Um, so Rhea Hall did a talk, and she gave an amazing performance in the studio with Susan Rogers doing vocal production, which was so moving. I think every single person cried in the control <laughs> room. <laughs> um, and then, like, Jenny Morris and Fiona MacDonald and Moana Maniapoto came in and gave a talk, and Shona Lang was there. <laughs> like a few names. Every, a few names at Song yeah, Hubs, yeah. popped in. Susan oh, Vega wow. popped in. <laughs> it was quite, pretty, pretty wild. Quite yeah. the experience. Yeah. And what is really interesting is you were given one role while you, while you were there. Mm -hmm. What was that role? We weren't allowed to say anything self-deprecating. That's really interesting. That interesting. And how many times did you have to catch yourself? Oh, constantly. <laughs> constantly. Yeah. And, and how you did your mindset change as you stopped being self-deprecating? Um, it was quite transformative, really. I think I was having a chat with Chelsea um, one night after we kind of finished for the day, and she said something about how she didn't think that the talk she'd given had gone very well, and I was like, hey not allowed to be self-deprecating. <laughs> she was like, no, but I am allowed to be self-critical. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, okay. fair enough. Yeah. That's mm. fair enough. They are different things, and I think that the most valuable thing about stopping yourself from being self-deprecating is that you start to understand when you're actually being critical of yourself in a helpful way mm. instead of just, like, assuming that you can't do something because you're bad at it. You mm. can stop and be like, well... Am I just being a baby? Yeah. And I can actually do this. <laughs> <laughs> or do I think someone else should do it because they'll do it better than me? Like, am I actually the right person to be doing this particular task or this part of the song or whatever? It applies throughout your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's a really valuable skill to have. And I think we all have it. But a lot of the time, um, self-deprecation kind of gets in the way.
yeah and stops you from doing things that you probably could do or stops you from thinking about a situation um maybe more laterally and thinking well if i'm not going to do it who is going to do it and how mm. should it be done so that it can be the best it can be and did the sincerity of your interactions with one another then become something that you noticed instead of you yeah. know you have to have polite conversation with yeah. people that you're working with um it was it's quite hard to kind of articulate because i find i've been thinking about how when you are being self-deprecating people have this urge to reassure you mm -hmm. all the time yeah um and that kind of undermines how you feel about receiving compliments you're like oh well i think i'm crap and they're just being nice to yeah, me yeah um, but when you're stopping yourself from saying oh i can do it but it might sound shit when someone does say to you that sounds really great you're really good at that you can actually believe them because they're not just saying it to <laughs> yeah. make you feel <laughs> And what about you, Raf? You've had a read over this article. Was there anything that you wanted to ask or any reflections that well, you took away from this? I'm not, I'm not really an artist in any capacity, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, but yeah. A lot of the people I've grown up around who are artists do tend to self-deprecate quite a lot and I think it's not it's not a case of like you wanting to be complimented that you actually yeah. often do feel very you know, you have insecure. a lack of confidence mm. yeah. and insecure. Yeah. And so to back them up feels great. But like you said, to be able to tell the difference between being self-critical and being self-deprecating yeah. through just pure positive reinforcement is like an awakening for an artist, yeah. surely. Mm, yeah, yeah, you would, you'd assume, wouldn't you? Hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. So well, that. What about you, Wave? What have you taken away from that? <laughs> I'm the one that asked the questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't expect this in my own house. How dare you? <laughs> um, yeah, really interesting uh, what you were talking about before. I think more from someone who, um, or, or like I perceive myself to, to kind of give that to as many artists as I can just because part of my the new job that I've just gotten um, as an art critic, like I'm now mm. paid to, to critique mm. art, but the, the place that that comes from is not from being, it's not a negative place where the, mm. where the critique comes from. It's a, yeah. it's a want to progress um, a lot of young artists' work uh, because without criticism, no one's progressing. Yeah, but it's absolutely. also learning how to critique without... Um, without really damaging that artist's mm. self-esteem yeah. and how they feel about their practice going forward. Mm. And I think um, in talking to a lot of those artists, having to conduct interviews with them um, or just viewing their work and then speaking to them after I've written something that, that might be critical about their work, mm. of course they, they come to me with, with really self-deprecating comments yeah. or yeah. Um, they may feel knocked down by something that I've said, which I always find quite funny because a lot of the time they're a lot older than me as well so I feel yes. like the authority is switched and that feels really strange for me mm. to then have to almost try to comfort someone who mm. who in in my mind and in this society in New Zealand obviously it's all relative because we're not talking somewhere like South Korea yeah, where that hierarchy yes. really does exist right but um to speak to someone older than you and have to have to comfort them when they when they don't understand that difference between being self-deprecating yeah. and being self-critical and and yeah. when you're the younger person that has to not explain it's not like a mansplaining situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more of a um yeah i guess that's part of the awakening for other people and it happens at different times for every person that you talk to yeah. so from a visual arts perspective i think that's what i took away is that um 
there needs to be a lot of patience in this journey yeah, and because absolutely. that was what happened when when you were away mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everyone gets opportunities like no, this yeah it was quite a unique situation and like very intensive as well so we were with each other for like 10 hours in the studio every day hmm. which was a long time to spend with people you don't really know doing something that is quite vulnerable so you have to you have to learn how to be okay in that situation otherwise you're gonna have the worst week of your life (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't sound like you had the worst week it really doesn't it was great and i i feel very lucky that i mean i've spent a lot of time in academia as well so Mm. i'm quite used to being criticized yeah um Mm. and it, it doesn't ruin my life if someone's like hey that's not working very well let's do something else yeah, yeah, yeah i yeah. can cope with that but yeah. lots of people can't and i think yeah just it song hubs was just making me think about how um it is really valuable to try and um within our communities create environments where people can learn how to kind of support themselves by stopping the self-deprecation which doesn't mm. stop instantly yeah um and start to think kind of more critically and be, just because you're being critical doesn't mean that you're not being gentle with yourself yeah, yeah, or yeah, gentle yeah. with other For people sure. like yeah when absolutely people say to you this part of the song needs to change they're not saying it or like you could change this about your art they're not saying it yeah. to be an asshole <laughs> it comes from a place of yeah, love exactly. a lot of the time like, yeah i can see how you could make this thing better and i want to help it's, yeah it's mm. a positive thing usually exactly. sometimes people have ulterior motives but you can't go around <laughs> thinking like that <laughs> no no of course not you have to own that for yourself yeah. i yeah. think um so a really beautiful article and and thanks for sharing it it doesn't mean much <laughs> coming from just, just talking on the radio thanks thanks for writing <laughs> that um are there any other pieces that you've written for bones in your 16 15 long um mm-hmm. segment uh, that you can remember quite vividly because of either the reception to the article or how you felt when you were writing that and about to put it in print format? Um, I don't remember every single thing that I wrote, but um, very early on, it may have been from the second or third um, edition, I wrote about um, nostalgia, and I think that was something that I really enjoyed writing. Um, my first piece for Bones, I also <laughs> remember because I sent it to Erin, and she was like, I'm going to have to ask Sean if we can publish this. <laughs> 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 because it was so mean. <laughs> <laughs> Dunedin music. (laughs) Um, And I did mean it as a joke, but... (laughs) And I hope it came across that way. Um, It did get published. (laughs) Not much doesn't get published in Bones, which is the beauty of the magazine. um, No censorship here. Yeah, no censorship. But that second piece, I... So, my background as a writer, um, I wrote the ODT for two and a half years, um, writing an opinions column, um, which was, had had mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Opinions in the ODT is, it's a dangerous game. Yeah. Um, I had some fans, I had some 
very much not fans. Yeah. But no. <laughs> um, so I wrote, I wrote all uh, over a hundred, about a, maybe a hundred and thirty wow. columns for the ODT. Um, but I had kind of rules with the ODT about what I could write about, um, mm. and obviously it's a newspaper, so they're not really particularly interested in. Um, abstract concepts yeah. <laughs> um, so for I think my first piece for Bones was kind of closer to something that I would have done for the ODT and then um, it's kind of realising I could do something completely different um, and that's what I really liked about writing for Bones was that I could um, kind of, if I felt like it do the kind of thing that I was doing in the ODT and um, get my back up about something and if I didn't feel like that I could write about my dreams or nostalgia or kind of I wrote a piece a few weeks ago um when I was I couldn't stop listening to the new Florence and the Machine album and I was like, this is so cool but I don't want to write a review of this so I'll just write something kind of tangentially related to <laughs> um that's really interesting that you just mentioned how your first piece was very similar to the way that you were writing for another publication mm -hmm. because that's also the way that I entered Bones magazine because I mm -hmm. only found out about it because um, I was working as a visual arts editor for Critic magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and when I like when I also entered, you know, when I started writing for Bones, I thought that that was the only thing I could write about and the only format yeah. that I could write in, and that was the only thing that was going to be accepted and published because, mm -hmm. like, I was quite young at the time as mm -hmm. well, and <laughs> it was only like a year ago. Still young, but. <laughs> Still young. Um, I, I was like super emerging and unsure of myself and I'm only saying this because I know a lot of people have been through uh, the same process when first mm. getting published in, in Bones or another magazine that's in print um, and you know those words are there forever and I thought mm. that the only words that were worth writing about were, were the words that I was writing for another magazine that was printing them mm. so I wrote an article very similar to what I was printing, like what I was published, getting published in another magazine, and um, I did that first that first article, and then I was like, "But Bones doesn't have to be this way, mm, and everyone's yeah. doing, everyone's on their different kind of thing that they've got yeah. going on. There's poetry, there's art, there's there's all sorts going on in this magazine, um, and Erin clearly isn't trying to define it. There's yeah. nothing, there's mm. no sort of submission guidelines which you get in in most publications, yeah, even like word length, like yeah." Yeah. You know, for True. the ODT, it's like 750 words. That's what I've, that's what I've got to do. And then bones, it's like, oh, I can just do one paragraph if that's all I. Yeah, yeah. If that's all in I want to say. In fact, in the last issue, there is three sentences that were submitted. <laughs> I don't know who the plant yeah. lady is, and it could very well be Erin. I have no idea. I haven't asked <laughs> yet. Um, but on the back, there's a, the tiniest submission Bones has ever seen, and it just says, I take oh, in I my see. pills, I feel my drows, I retire to, to my sleep. That's By cute. plant lady. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you could have submitted three sentences. It didn't really That's matter. That's good name for a band as well, plant lady. I like that. Plant lady. <laughs> yeah, nice. That could be you, Raph. That could be your new yeah, band. I could be a plant lady. <laughs> um, but you entered a lot later into Bones. Yes, in fact, only a few issues ago. Indeed. So I don't think you had that same experience of... Well, no. Well, I'd never written for anyone before, except for myself. So and how, my did it, how did it differ to you, to academia, well, I would say? I, the first thing I did wrong was that I wrote an article that I would read. That's what I did wrong, to be honest. Cause <laughs> it's good that people, you're reflecting on it. <laughs> people, people who read the articles that I would like to read probably aren't very 
motivated to get out and find those articles. Yeah, and fair enough. So I wrote enough. a weird article about... What was my first one about? Yeah, see, we're all in that boat <laughs> at this oh, stage. Oh, it was about surrealist fiction. That's what yeah. it was about. And yeah. surrealist stuff. I'm interested in that. See, okay, one person, great. We're, we're on a roll tonight. Um, uh, and I really enjoyed writing about it. And I made sure, because I get really excited when I reference things. So I'm like, oh, I hope someone will get it. Mm -hmm. So I put these references in there and I was really excited. And then I showed it to my dad because I thought, oh, he'll know all the references in it. I showed yeah. it to my dad. And then he was just like, it's great, but I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> the only person you can yeah. rely on. And he's yeah, an yeah. English teacher and he didn't understand. So I was like, oh, this is going to not going to go down well but I'd already submitted it at that point but you've so had like, a, you have now a few issues that have. have been printed and since then I think I've and what made have you it learned from that make it accessible <laughs> make it ex yeah. more accessible yeah pick, pick themes that aren't just going to go over people's heads I did one about Ayn Rand because I don't like her um, <laughs> and that was really fun because I think more people don't like Ayn Rand than don't than read surrealist fiction yeah. hopefully yeah, so yeah, yeah. I wrote something about Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged and how silly the whole thing is. And then I, my final one I think is the most accessible, um, probably the most controversial, even that's a weird thing to say. Mm. Um, it's about how I don't really think New Zealand is secular enough and how I don't really agree with how they're handling things and the fact that we still have blasphemy laws is mm. kind of messed up. Yeah. Do you still feel a sense of accomplishment even though you God, felt yeah. that you had to make it G more getting your word, Getting my words in print felt incredible it felt like nothing I'd done before and it was so gratifying because you can sit down and have a conversation with someone about something you're interested in and they can understand what you're saying and that's wonderful yeah. but then to actually be able to put something out there and just hope people enjoy it was mm -hmm. so freeing it was great mm -hmm. I see why people do it and that's like a weird thing to say no, but yeah. like it felt great and I fantastic yeah, it felt so great and that's what was great about zines and bones in particular especially yeah. cool and Millie in terms of the community that Bones has created, how do you think that community has... No, let me rephrase the question. What do you think Bones has added to the community in New Zealand? Uh, in New Zealand? In Dunedin. <laughs> You'd hope in New we can, Zealand. We can go wider. We can go wider. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm kind of a weird person to ask that question of. Um, You're the only person here, except I'm, for Raz. I'm the only person <laughs> here. Because I've, I've talked with Erin about this, Erin. <laughs> it's like you just write your pieces and you submit them, and there's that's it. <laughs> like I haven't even okay up until like two weeks ago, I only had one issue of Bones from this year in my possession. Um, and You're the most interesting person to ask this question. Entirely on me um, because I am busy and reclusive and so I never go out and get them um, and Erin has to give them to me in bulk um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough that's so it takes me a little while to get through it so I feel I felt personally like kind of not removed but like on the edges of bones a little bit um, which I think is a product of how I've been writing for the last four years um, anyway, like I didn't buy the ODT when I wrote for the ODT. I didn't read my letters to the editor. I didn't engage with it because I didn't want to. Um, with Bones, it's not that I didn't want to, but that's just kind of like a reflex for me. And because I've done so much writing mm -hmm. as well, yeah, I don't feel particularly compelled to have in my possession every single thing that I've written. Yeah. Um, mm. But everything that I have read in Bones. I've really liked and been like this is so cool that 
all these people that I know or I kind of know are writing all these cool things. How cool is it that everyone I know can write? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exciting. Um, and I, I think it's been really, it's brought such interesting people together. So um, it's nice looking out from my reclusive to vantage observe. point. Yeah. Like, oh, look at people, really enjoying this. It's <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> to observe the community building exercise. <laughs> um, in terms of the artwork, if you can remember as mm -hmm. far back as Bones goes, or just this issue, <laughs> the issue 18 here, has there been any piece of art that's really stood out to you? Um, the first, the first one was really cool. Devin? I think, yeah. Devin's. Oh, and first in terms of issue one? Or? Before that. Oh, even the, before the that. Negative, negative two. Negative two. It must have been. Um, but I think that one sticks in my mind mostly. I can't remember that. It was, it was, was coloured, right? The front cover was coloured on No, it didn't one. have a piece of art on the mm. front. The, the negative just issues. It like was very yeah. stark. Um, and that was, I mean, it was exciting because I didn't know exactly what Erin was going to do with it. Like, she spoken about um kind of wanting to have this like unstapled um mm. thing like kind of a newspaper situation and then the instructions on the back of what to do with it when you're finished with it and I was like that sounds cool but I can't visualize what it's going to look like so yeah just seeing it for the first time I was like Oh, Aaron. That's really interesting because, <laughs> of course, you're you're one of the the contributors that are particularly close to to the editor and, mm. and was close before the inception of this magazine. So, is there anything else that you can remember that Aaron said that you know Bones didn't turn out to be in the end? No, it was everything she yeah, she had explained to, be, to you. Yeah, everything that she wanted it to be. I hope from wow. her perspective as well. But yeah. We had a, a kind of a gathering, um, and she had a bunch of the old um, zines that I think Radio One has produced in the past, um, which are more newspapery than Bones, kind mm. of more like a fold-out situation. Huh. Um, and we were looking through those, and she was like, "I kind of want it to be like this. This is what I'm thinking of." So I was imagining, like, an actual newspaper, um, but I think what we ended up with is way cooler because you've got so many pieces and the way they all fold together it's great <laughs> <laughs> of course always a poster in the middle as well yeah, which is very cool um, and in this issue 18 um, we will go through a spectrum of it at some point but there are multiple posters it's mm. not just one poster uh, every page has a poster on the back of it oh my girlfriend's going to be so, so cool. excited yeah it's really interesting <laughs> lots of people ask for bones to be sent to different cities yeah. That's been um, it's been quite interesting. Uh, I had an interview on on Radioactive in Wellington this morning about Bones. Quite a funny person to be in interviewed about it, <laughs> considering I'm not the editor of the publication. But um, the, the question that like really tripped me up was um, the lovely, lovely breakfast host Maggie. She asked, "Is the last issue going to be reprinted and distributed around New Zealand?" <laughs> and I was like, "Wrong person to come to, first of all." <laughs> Because I don't know, but also no, I don't think so. And it was really interesting, and Millie, I'd love to hear what you think about the um, way up between putting Bones online and keeping mm. it in print. What do you think about that? I've been thinking about this a bit, um, mostly, to be honest, in the context of I can't remember what I've said, do I want it on the internet? 
Um, <laughs> fair enough, yeah. That's fair enough. totally fair. <laughs> um, um, but also, I kind of, I kind of love that Bones is physical. Um, there's not very much that we have now that is only available in hard copy, um, and I think that's kind of special. Um, and especially with, I mean. I love the internet, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, you know, with Bones having, like, the instructions on the back of how to conscientiously dispose of it, <laughs> that it feels like this, like, very temporal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice thinking that there'll just be, wh- if it doesn't go on the internet, that, um, that there'll just be, like, a few copies in people's houses and like on their bookshelves and then they'll get pulled out years from now we'll be like look at this cool thing that I wrote for that I picked up when I was in Dunedin in 2017 (laughs) (laughs) do you feel as though the an audience in Wellington would have the same kind of reaction to Bones that the audience in Dunedin did um I think it would be similar but I also think that Wellington has a more centralised creative community than Dunedin. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, Wellington is generally... I mean, it's a bit bigger than Dunedin, so it has more people to populate its creative communities, but they seem to be um, slightly more supportive and they have hubs and people work together a bit more Um, and especially over the last few years I felt like Dunedin's been quite disparate with creative communities and it's maybe Mm -hmm. starting to come back together a little bit now and Bones has brought people back together a bit as well. Um, So I feel like people in Wellington would love Bones but whether it would have the same emotional impact, I feel like people have become very emotionally attached to Bones and very invested in the narrative of Bones and being involved in Bones. Um, and whether or not that would carry over in another city, I, I'm not really sure. I don't think it would. Yeah. Mm. Why did you keep writing for Bones? I wanted to. Just wanted <laughs> yeah, to? Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. What kind of purpose did it serve for you? Was it some sort of outlet? Um, I enjoy writing. I write a lot anyway. Um, and it's kind of a reflex for me at this point. Um, I was writing every single week at the ODT. I edited the music section at Critic a couple of years ago as well, so um, it's just like a muscle, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like if I don't have something to write every week, <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and whereabouts are you going to go now that this has ended? Do you know? Do you have an idea? Um, in terms of writing? In terms of writing? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to take a little break from... I'm saying this now, and I'll probably go back on it in <laughs> months, but I'm taking a little break from um, public writing for a bit um, and doing some some private writing. Yeah, fantastic. That's <laughs> Just cool. focusing on, on a couple of projects that I have, um, that, I, well, that I want to be working on. Um, I'm also going on tour for three months, so I'm not going to yeah, put that on pause. a lot of time <laughs> for, uh, for writing. <laughs> 
Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today to talk about the very last issue of Bones, issue 18. We do have a couple more editions of the Deboned segment coming up next week, speaking to Peter McCall, and then the last ever Deboned, speaking with Erin Broughton herself, the editor of the magazine. You can find Bones magazine at the Radio 1 studios, come up between 9 and 5 any working day of the week and grab one. We've also got a puppy, got a dog in the studio. Get a little, get a little cuddle get a Bones magazine, have a chat to someone that's up here. Um, You can also find Bones distributed around the city. It's in a lot of the trendy cafes. I know it's in Relics as well. It's in a few stores around the city.